You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everybody, it's Russ from My Hammers 11. I hope you're all safe and well. If you're new to the channel, please consider subscribing and hit the bell icon so you're made aware of any time we put new content on. Loads of great guests coming up, including today's guest, uh, Lifelong Hammer. Loads of great stories. I'm really looking forward to it. It's Michael Campbell. Hi, Michael. How are you? Hello, Russ. Thank you very much for inviting me. Absolute pleasure. How are you? How's, how have you been coping in this, in this weird world we're living in at the moment? Well, I, uh, for health reasons, I had to sort of um, shield myself for three yeah. months and it's been going on for about four months now. I've, I've got everything delivered. I'm being ever so careful with myself. I can go in the garden and, of course, um, I have uh, uh, video uh, chats and yeah. lots of phone calls. So, like all of us, we have to sort of do the best we can under the circumstances. But because I'm retired now... Um, most of my days are taken up with my uh, group, um, West Ham United FC group, which I started four years ago. Pleased to say I've got over 12,000 members now, wow. some lovely people on there, knowledgeable people, and it's gaining momentum. I'm probably gathering an average of about 80 new members a week, so I must be doing something right. And um, that takes up a lot of my time. It's almost a full-time job. It's, it's addictive. I, yeah. I'm really proud of it and, and want to build on it. Yeah, no, exactly. And you're right. I mean, yeah, I, I, I can totally hear, you know, second the whole sort of community and stuff. I mean, this channel, this channel basically is, is become what it was because of the community. You know, not me. It's about listening to people and people being kind enough to give me their time to, to talk about West Ham. And uh, yeah, it's great. And obviously, the, I, I obviously follow the, the West Ham um the, the group on facebook your one and yeah it's so much good content it's, and it's i love the interaction between all the members um because everyone's opinion's valid isn't it and it's, it's lovely to see it's lovely to read everyone in terms of that and it, that's and that type of those type of groups have kept everyone going you know while uh there's been no football obviously now we've got football to moan about now so i think you to moan about but uh no it's lovely isn't it just all that interaction and just that togetherness 
doesn't matter where they are in the world, you know, they all have West Ham in common. So it's lovely to see and lovely to read. And it's it also be- nice when a, another admin of another West Ham group pays a nice compliment to you. And, and obviously I do to them if they do something good. So there's no animosity or rivalry. We, we all respect each other and we're all trying to do a job. Uh, and and create this this West Ham uh, fam, great West Ham family that we've got, and I, I'm I'm in 27 countries now. Uh, there's new countries um, joining, so people from abroad, and I try to regularly do an update on their groups abroad and and photographs of them and make them all feel welcome and included. And um, I'm very lucky. I've got some really really good members, very knowledgeable. Uh, and come up with some great ideas and, and, and of course their experiences because uh, in anything we do we're only as good as the people around us. I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate I've got some very knowledgeable people around me and I've learned a lot from them. Yeah, yeah me too I and mean, this is this has been as much as a, a you know a journey listening to people it's been a journey for myself listening to about players that I didn't know about and experiences that I've only read about and so it's sort of I can see exactly how is similar parallels in terms of what we do here. Um, no, I know. And, and also, I mean, the, the stuff about the, the, the more foreign based fans, that's what's really taken me by surprise because I was a bit sort of naive to it, to be honest. I mean, I knew of them, but how fanatical these foreign, the foreign based fans are even more so I'd say than the UK ones, because they haven't got that sort of access. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. it's uh, it, but it's good fun. It's good fun. Yeah. It's good. I, I, I mean, last year I, I had a film uh, producer come on to me. Um, I, I've had um, celebrities. I've had uh, relatives of first team players come and say, "Can we join the site?" And I thought, oh, I must be doing something good because when I started it up, I did it by accident. It was even named for me. And I thought, well, now I've started, I'll have to do it better. I'm not going to churn out information every day, particularly when it's a virus on and we haven't paid for three months. I think, what are you going to do now? Put Crossroads on. But I've managed to to find information through the uh, internet every day, weird and wonderful places, uh, a newspaper in Laodella Hay or Stoke Poges and got an article there and I thought, oh, I can mention that. So somehow, miraculously, I've managed to keep the conveyor belt going. I hope, I hope it, it doesn't break down on me. <laughs> well, there's plenty to talk about at the moment, Michael. So we're all right for the next few weeks at least, aren't we? Until, until whenever the season ends and stuff. But, um, but for Michael, from you, obviously, you're a massive West Ham fan. The question I always ask people when I get them on the channel is, why is West Ham your club? What's your, what's your story? Well, um, I was born and brought up in Stratford at London E15, so it's a walking distance from the ground. None of my family were into football, but we used to play football in the street, like 500 on the 500 with a couple of uh, coats down as the goals. And we would argue whether we think it's gone over the crossbar or not. Um, uh, Brian Deer, whose um, uh, uh, cousin Edna lived on the corner of my road at Bolton Road, was my sister's best friend. So we used to meet Brian regularly, a little older than me, but he used to join in with us over West Ham Park. We used to crawl in a hole through the fence rather than the long walk up to the gate. Um, I don't know who made the hole in the fence. I hope it wasn't <laughs> Brian. Um, but um, he used to get us all organised. And we, we kind of hero-worshipped him when he signed for West Ham and thought, oh, perhaps we could join Brian there one day. Um, then... Um, I, I, 
one of the neighbours um, said, we're going over West Ham, do you ever go over there? Well, well we didn't have a lot of money. And uh, I, I thought, I don't know if I can afford it. But they said, we'll take you. And they took me over there. And the first game uh, was against Burnley. Uh, there are some really good players. Um, I remember one of their best players for Sammy McElroy, was an Irish, uh, not Sammy McElroy, Jimmy McElroy, an Irish international, was amazing inside forward. And um, and uh, I, I, uh, I got the bug, we was on the North Bank, uh, the little ones used to sit on like a plastic, stand on a plastic milk crate to put their elbows on the wall behind the goal. The very little ones would be passed down through the crowd above your head and you, you'd carefully hold this kid and, and make room at the front so everybody could see and, and, and find a milk crate for them, even sit them on the wall sometimes. And it was amazing then we could talk to the goalkeepers. Um, they would turn around and, and have a little bit of banter with you. Um, wow. I remember when we played um, Arsenal on uh, uh, November the 5th Boxing Night and, and we beat them 6-0 and I was talking to Jack Kelsey, their goalkeeper, throughout the game. And he, he was saying, oh God, not another one. Uh, and sort of uh, jokingly, but a bit gutted. I used to speak to Ernie Gregory um, quite a lot. And um, then I moved to Basildon when I was 12. Um, and I met, uh, I found West Ham supporters there and supporters um, to, to go uh, with. Started playing football locally. Um, and then I got um, contacted by Wally St. Pierre, who was the chief scout then, who invited me down to Chadwell Heath. He said, we train Tuesdays and Thursdays. Would you be interested in coming down on trial? No, no promises. And I said, oh, yeah. And I thought, oh. I don't know what, I, what I'm going to be like there. And amazingly, and this is unbelievable, I know, my, there was a knock on my door on the day that I was going to be picked up, I thought, by Wally St. Pierre. And my mother said, there's a man called Mr. Fenton at the door. I said, Mr. Fenton? I don't know a Mr. Fenton. It was Ted Fenton. He wow. was in the light blue Citroen, the old type where you could lower it for motorways, that, that model. <sighs> and I thought, oh, my God, my legs went to jelly. And I thought, I've practiced I'll probably be in the first team this week. Um, I didn't know I was that good. Anyway, he drove me down there very amicably and uh, introduced me to Ernie Gregory, who was the coach there on the day, who made me very, very welcome the the training was absolutely exhausting. My legs were like jelly by the time I came out of there. I, I, I eventually didn't get taken on by West Ham, but they wished me luck for the future and said to keep an eye on me. And I, I eventually had a trial at Southend and didn't make it there either. But I promised myself, as Arnold Schwarzenegger would say, <laughs> I'll be back. And I thought, you're not going to keep me away from this ground. It's become my life. I'm addicted to it. It's all I talk about. If people saw me in the street, they used to climb over walls, jump up trees and literally run to get away from me because they said, don't ever stop and ask how he is because he'll talk about West Ham for at least eight hours. It'll be dark before you get home. They'll think you've been down the pub and you'll get in trouble. Just if you see him, make yourself scarce because that's all he talks about is West Ham. Um, so... I eventually went back to West Ham for five seasons when Lou Macari was there um, commercially. They, they bought me a new car from uh, Dayton Motors, all sign written, which I was very, very proud of. But I had to be careful what parts of London I, I drove it in. Uh, I'd stop at a zebra crossing in East Ham and they, they would jokingly sort of get on their knees and pay homage and kiss the bonnet. And uh, it created a lot of attention. And of course, match days, I could drive into the... Uh, players car park which I felt quite privileged and 
Um, I used to run the, the match day lottery. I, I used to bring uh, sellers in with me from Basildon. They'd get a commission and local people would come and met about 20 sellers around the ground. And underneath the ground, it's like a network of tunnels that you could run between. The public can't see it. And I've got a office down there. So at half time, I had to run down to sort out all the tickets and, and replenish their stock and sort all the money out. And I did other uh, commercial things there as well, but it was nice to get back there because I missed it terribly. I wanted to be part of it. Even if I was just sweeping up the forecourt, I didn't care. I just wanted to get inside those gates. And um, some marvellous moments uh, when there was the pitch riots, when Bobby Tamblyn accidentally kicked the goalkeeper when he went down his feet and the whole pitch was covered in supporters. Laurie Leslie... Um, when he got injured and they put him out on the wing against Arsenal on the left wing and he played a blinder. He was absolutely amazing at what he was doing down that wing. And um, I got to know Bobby Ferguson when it was something Kilmarnock, who lived in Basildon temporarily, but then moved to um, Cranham um, up near Hornchurch. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, uh, and and I, I, got, I got to know him uh, well, Bobby Ferguson, a lovely guy. And they've had some brilliant players. So this 11 is very, very difficult because you could do 100 11s of all very, very good players. And no offence to anyone I've had to leave out, but I've had to juggle about and try and do a bit of a mix and match over the periods. But I, I'm also one that admires loyalty and people that stay for a long time. And we've got some of those as well that have done 400 plus appearances and I think we've only had two players that have had two testimonials. One was Alvin Martin and the other one, Billy Bonds, because of their longevity and, and quite rightly so. Yeah, yeah, no, very good, very good. Now, I, I, yeah, I can, you've probably got one of the biggest spreads of players, Michael, I think we've, got, we've had on the channel. So I can imagine it's been quite, a, quite, um, quite difficult to narrow them down to 11. But that's, that's the fun of it. You know, that's, that's the whole fun of it. So that, let's, let's talk about your, your 11 then, Michael, because um, I, I'm looking forward to this. Um, we'll start off in goal. Who have we got in goal for the, for the Campbell 11? Who's, who's your keeper? Well, um, I only saw him to the latter part of his career, but it was only Gregory. He was also born in Stratford. Yeah. Um, uh, he uh, made over 400 appearances for West wow. Ham. And I don't think everybody knows just how long he was at West Ham as a player and a coach with no break at all. Um, when I went for my trial, he was the first guy I met. He was a lovely, he was a gentleman. Um, but he was with West Ham over 50 years. Wow. Non-stop. So he spent most of his life there. Um, so there's not many players that can say they spent 50 years with the club. And I'm not choosing him just because he spent 50 years with the club. He was a very good goalkeeper. Not a household name like Peter Shilton or Gordon yeah. Banks. He was about six foot tall, a big old lump. Uh, they didn't get the protection like they do today. They used to be able to shoulder barge you into the net and say, go and get away with it. Um, but you couldn't shoulder barge him into the net. He was standing ground. He was quite commanding and quite verbally commanding in the area, which is very important uh, to marshal the, the, the defence. The crowds loved him, uh, and he ret eventually retired in 1987. Wow. But what a wonderful servant and a, a great goalkeeper. To make 400 first-team appearances, um, you, you've got to be pretty good. 
Gotcha. Yeah, as I said, fifty years, man and boy, literally, or boy and man. That's that's, in, that's incredible. You know, you don't get that any, anymore, do you? Sort of that that level of loyalty. Um, that's that's amazing. Uh, right. Okay, we'll put Ernie Gregory in goal. Um, I'll let you carry on, Michael. Who do you want to talk okay. about next? It's up to you. Okay, right, right back. Yep. Ray Tonka Stewart that I've had the pleasure of meeting several times. Great character, lovely guy. Yeah. Not picking him just because he's a nice guy, um, but uh, we signed him in 1979 from uh, Dundee United. Um, believe it or not, and most of these were from penalties. He was exceptional with penalty kicks. He hardly missed one. Yeah. Um, uh, and of course, he was in the 1980 Cup final team and played 10 times for Scotland for the, the full side. Um, he actually scored 70 league goals. There's not many fullbacks can no, say that. Can no, 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 no. That's mental, isn't it? From fullback as well. 70 goals. Yeah, John Bond scored a few years ago, but yeah. um, I, I thought he was brilliant. And you could bet your house on it that he was going to score. Uh, if, if he if he was going to take a penalty, a bit like Julian Dix, it was like yeah. a, a cannon shot. Yeah, if yeah, he yeah. stopped it, probably knock you over and still go <laughs> in the net. It was that hard. No one does that anymore, though, do they, Michael? No one, no one rifles them into the. It, they all try and place them, don't they? The modern game, but actually, there's nothing wrong with just taking and just hitting it as hard as you can. Uh, and even if the goalkeeper does, he it does sort of guess the right way. It's so it's hit so hard that they can't really stop it unless they get their full body behind it. I think there's so much money at stake these days. I think I better just side put it just inside yeah. the post because if he doesn't move first, he's not going to be able to get to that ball quick enough. Yeah. But in them days, a bit more gung ho. Yeah. Let's take a big long run up, and 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 I think when it was Ray Stewart, I'm sure the goalkeeper felt like standing <laughs> one side and thought I don't want to get me. I that we'll just have to go one nil down it must have been scary a bit like julian dix yeah yeah no exactly yeah i know but, but that's but that's it that's that's what we should do i think you know i i just think there's so there's it's a lost art that rifling it into that you're probably right it probably is money people are more concerned they just want to place it to make sure that at least they hit the target and they've got a chance but um yeah no it's uh it's on, and again a lovely guy as you said Really, really nice guy. He'll be coming on the channel eventually. Um, he was he was kind enough to phone me to tell me he's going to be on. But we're going to do a live. My, my left back. My left yep. back. Who's your left back? Sorry, Michael. Yeah. My left back will be Noel Campbell. Saw him towards the end of his career. Yeah. Yeah. He was signed from Noel Campbell. Uh, became captain. He was signed from Cork Athletic in Ireland in 1952 and he stayed at West Ham to 1960 uh, and then Manchester United bought him for then a club record fee, a British fee for a fullback, 27,500 and he, and, uh, he, he, stayed, um, he stayed at Manchester United till 1967, seven years and he was Manchester United's captain and Northern Ireland's captain and he was capped 36 times to Northern Ireland. Um, now, he eventually became manager of Coventry and Peterborough. And just after he had left Peterborough as a manager, um, I was uh, in Peterborough uh, doing a bit of business for West Ham. And I popped into a pub to use the loo. And it was called the New...
in that. Um, a boy, he's called Noel Campbell. Like Noel Campbell. She said, it is Noel Campbell. I said, oh, what's she doing in here? She said, he's the licensee. And I noticed around the walls was adorned with lots of West Ham pictures and Manchester United pictures. And I went over and introduced myself and I spent six hours in there. Wow. We had a fabulous chat, me and him, um, because he, he was a bit like Bobby Moore, the way he used to run, like a, an Adonis. He had style about him, even the way he ran. Jack Burkett was a little bit like it. And I thought, what a player Noel Campbell was. He wasn't, I mean, I, I, I really admired Julian Dix as well. Um, he had the aggression of um, Dix, but not quite so fierce, but a, a little bit more finesse with him. We'd dribble his way out of defence, look up like Bobby Moore had done, made it look effortless. And Noel Campbell had a great understanding with John Bond, who uh, comes from my neck of the woods, originally um, Colchester. And uh, I really admired him, and I was gutted when he left West Ham because yeah. he he was absolute class. Yeah, sounds sounds amazing, and it's and that that's why I love um, interviewing the more experienced fans, Michael, is because I I mean I never knew about this about Noel Countwell. So now I'm gonna after our call, I'm gonna go and now research about him to so I can get up to my get up to speed. But uh, no worries, we put Noel Countwell in. Carry on, let's go centre halves. We got one of the centre halves would would have to be um, um, Ken Brown, who signed for West Ham in 1951. I saw him towards the end of his career. Mm. Um, he made his debut in 1953, um, and he, he he eventually got into the first team replacing Malcolm Allison, who sadly became ill. I think he was about 26 with with TB, um, which was very tragic because he, he was a good player. They signed from Charlton. Um, uh, his playing career was cut short temporarily at West Ham because he went into the National Service, into the Army from 1952 to 54. So didn't play in that period because they, they called him up and, and cut his career short. Um, um, he started again, he, he got back in the first team in season 57-58 in their promotion uh, year under Ted Fenton. Um, and he only missed one game in that promotion year. So he was very consistent and very safe hands there. He only played once for England. Um, and that was um, against Northern Ireland. He, he got capped. Um, and obviously a member of the 1964 um, FA Cup side and the Cup winner side the year after. And, uh, and, uh, and um, I think everybody knows he's the father of Kenny Brown. Um, but not had the pleasure of meeting him, but what a loyal servant. Yeah. Um, all, all them years, um, um, uh, you know, at, at the centre, uh, uh, back there, very commanding, very good in the air, and made it all look effortless. And he was um, a, a great understanding uh, with, um, with Ernie Gregory. Not many mix-ups there, yeah. but he was a commanding figure. Uh, and a great man. I think he's been made a lifelong um, something or other and all tonight at West Ham. I think they, they really recognise what he's done. I think he lives in Norfolk now. Yeah. But um, what, what a player. Yeah. Don't make and him like that anymore. No, and again, the, the level of the level of service the club as well you know it's just incredible when you think of it you know now at the modern yeah. game is so different nowadays if you get three years out of a player you've done well um it's it's totally different they weren't so mercenary in those days no and he wasn't no. everything he loved the club and the club loved him yeah 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 definitely all right ken brown's in uh who's gonna partner him in, in center after well, um, alvin martin yep 
um, who, um, uh, who started, it, I think, in Everton's um, youth team. Um, and um, they only offered him eventually an apprenticeship on a part-time basis. So he wasn't happy um, with that. Um, he got a chance to go to um, West Ham. Um, he was at, and he was in West Ham's youth team from 74 to 78 and then promoted to the first team in 1978 and stayed at West Ham um, till 19, uh, 1996. Capped 17 times for England, played in the 1986-12 Cup series. Uh, uh, and in 1986, um, he scored a hat-trick versus Newcastle when we beat them 8-1 against three different goalkeepers because their goalkeeper got injured and had yeah. an outfield player going who got injured. And then there was a third one. He scored three goals against ten goalkeepers, which is quite unusual yeah. and for a man playing in his position. Yeah, exactly. And he, along with Billy Bonds, um, is the only one who's had two long service testimonials at West Ham. Yeah. I had the pleasure of meeting Alvin when I did a bit of commercial work for Southend United when he was manager there, 97 to 99. Uh, again, a, a gentleman, and yeah. they loved him at Southend. Yeah, no, you're right, utter gentleman. Uh, and one of, those, one of those guys, you know, we have a few of them who I call adopted Cockneys, you know what I mean? They they weren't from around these parts, but they still live around here. And I mean, I, I, his grandson goes to the same school as my daughter in, in Hornchurch. So, you know, it's uh, we still sort of, he's, he's still sort of seeing around. He still does the school fair, you know, and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah, a lovely guy, absolutely lovely yes. guy. Right. Okay. Who are you going to talk about next, Michael? Who are you um, going to go on next? the left? On the yep. left of midfield, Alan Devonshire. Yep. I've had the pleasure of meeting a couple of times. Another nice guy. Um, managed Braintree locally to me for a while, mm. um, and I think he's at uh, Maidenhead at the moment. If you've got a second spell there since 1995. I met him at Billericay Town when he was we playing a league game against him. I showed him around the changing rooms. Had a little chat with him in the clubhouse afterwards. I met him at a, a hotel, a West Ham night, uh, one night as well. Um, had several photos taken with him. Um, he's um, when he left school, um, he was actually a forklift driver and played part time for Southall. Um, and he um, he played that part time Southall, and West Ham spotted him. And I know that money's different now, yeah. but even at £5,000, it was still a, a, a very small amount of money, but nobody quite knew what a bargain they had there. Uh, it was almost unknown. But I've got a friend um, who played in a two Vars finals at Billericay Town, um, uh, Ricky McQueen, uh, and he tells me he played against uh, Alan Devonshire uh, when he was at Southall, and he said he was the best player on the pitch by far. I wasn't surprised that West Ham played him. He was here, there and everywhere. Uh, we, we just couldn't control him. Um, so he went to uh, West Ham, and within a week of signing from West Ham, from being a part-time player for Southall and a forklift driver, it was actually in the first team, within a week of going there. Uh, sorry, within a month of going there, not a week. Um, I've seen him many times walk around four or five players effortlessly, no problem whatsoever. Um, to turn on the sixpence, 
accelerate ever so quick, no stopping him. He was just absolutely amazing, and um, I got to pick him. He, yeah. he, you can't, you could never forget him. Nah, nah, he's an incredible. And again, you know, because obviously I've been very, very fortunate enough to interview some players, some players of his era, and they all talk about how fantastic he was. And it, it made me go back and watch. YouTube videos and Robert Banks's stuff, and because he's got the season reviews on, and incredible. And and I, to be honest, I I don't I didn't appreciate what they were doing on the state of the pitches they were doing the stuff on. Do you know what I mean? So like he was beating four men on a bog of a pitch, you know. And it's like that's was, what surprises me. More mad than grass most of the time. Yeah, there's more mud than grass. It was like a field. Yeah. And that's and that's what surprises me, you know. That that's why I didn't appreciate until until obviously going back and look at them is, you know, we have this sort of perception of football always being played on this bowling green grass, but it wasn't. And and he was still mesmeric and beating four men, and and you know, he's, it's funny. When I interviewed McAvenny and Cotty, they both said word for word the same thing that Alan Devonshire said to them. So they both said Dev would say, "I'll get three men on me." just pass it and then run and I'll, and I'll flick it behind. And they both said exactly the same thing. So obviously that was his stock answer to all these forwards, but uh, no, an incredible man, incredible player. Absolutely yeah. incredible. Another nice guy as well. Very modest about his stealth. Yeah. Um, on the right of the midfield, yep. I, I know he's a bit controversial because of the way he left the club. Uh, Dimitri Payet yep. um, was exceptional. His first game, I believe, if I remember rightly, it was a cup game at South End. And you could see how good he was going to be then. Um, he only played 48 games uh, and scored 11 goals, mainly from incredible free kicks that he took um, from all angles and all distances. But he had 18 assists uh, as well in that time. Uh, he was definitely a set-piece specialist and he had terrific dribbling skill. Uh, signed from Marseille, 2015, state of 2017, Capped 38 times for France. Shame it ended up the way it did. Yeah. Because um, he was something else. Um, apparently he hasn't been quite successful since no. he left. But um, there's always two sides to a story. Um, I've just got, I don't want to be bitter about him. I just want to appreciate what he did for the, the club. And yeah. I know the supporters adored him. I'm sure most people were gutted and, and shocked when he left. But... You know, people have private lives and they have all sorts of private things to deal with in life. But as a player, I'm sure I'm not the only one that admired him. No, no, definitely. He, for me, in my, you know, relatively short fan career compared to you, Michael, he's he's technically the best player I've ever seen play for West Ham live. You know, because um, I just think he was just mesmeric, and I think we were, we were, we we were honoured to have him play for us because I don't think you know he was that good. He was he was the player that all your mates would talk about who were other teams supporters. You know what I mean? Like Tottenham or Arsenal. Go, oh, we'd love, I'd love Payet. Never happened to me. Maybe De Canio occasionally, but. Everyone wanted Pyatt in their team, and uh, and he was brilliant. You're right, he was brilliant, you know. But you get that with those sort of mercurial players, don't you? They always have a different, they're they're another side to them. Um, and, and he 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 joined us in the same way that he left us. Really, he sort of went on strike, sort of at Marseille, and they were forced to sell him to us, kinda. Um, but uh, yeah, for for what he gave, and obviously what he gave to the last season at the bowling, I don't think anyone can can criticise him because he was he was brilliant. He was a brilliant player for us. Um, 
Right, okay. Uh, midfield, central midfield then, then Michael. Right, Who one, of the two mid, one of the two central midfield would yep. have to be Billy Bonds. Yeah. Uh, and when we talk about longevity and when we talk about uh, why he got two testimonials and why he's absolutely adored and why so people went crazy when they named the stand after him, a bit, bit overdue, really. Yeah. Um, not had the pleasure of meeting this man. I would love to meet him. Um, I know we signed him from Charlton in 1967 and he was playing till 88. He actually made 799, one short of 800 appearances. If you did half that, you'd be proud. Yeah. It's phenomenal. 21 seasons. Um, and Ron Green would pay 50 grand for him at the time, which was a lot more than what it's worth now, but quite a reasonable uh, fee for a player of his calibre. Um, uh, and he, 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 funnily enough, he made his first appearance in, in the testimonial match for Ken Brown. That was his first yeah. game for West Ham. Um, he played his first three seasons at right back uh, for West Ham. Then Greenwood um, switched him uh, to midfield. Um, and then he took over the captaincy from uh, Bobby Moore in 1974. Uh, uh, then he... Then he, he came, uh, then he, he moved back uh, uh, in defence uh, to play alongside Tommy Taylor for the 76 77 uh, season. Um, and as I say, he had two testimonials. He led the Hammers to the 1980 uh, Cup final win, and, and he was captain against Liverpool in the League Cup final that we lost after a replay. Um, uh, he surpassed Bobby Moore's appearances in 1982 to 83. Retired in 84. Um, uh, then he, he came out of, of playing, but they called him back when we had a lot of injuries and he kept make, made a comeback into the side for 26 matches. Um, he played past his 40th birthday. In fact, he was 41 years, 266 days, playing in the top flight. That man has got to have been super fit. They say they're knackered now at 34. Yeah. Try, try nearly 42 and still running your socks off and competing with everyone. He scored 48 goals in his career. And he, he quite rightly won Hammer of the Year in 71, 74, 75 and 87 and was given the MBE in 1988. What a yeah. man. What a man. What a player. Yeah. No wonder they hero worship him. Yeah, no wonder. And you're right. I mean, he from he won like last hammer of the year, and his first was seventy four, and he won again eighteen seven. So that's even that's thirteen years since since the two the last his last two hammers. An amazing man, and it's funny. Everyone he talked to um, about even when he was manager, um, he was still the fittest player at the club, even when he was managing. Uh, and they used to hate doing the Hainault Forest. Um, cross country runs because Billy would be at the front, <laughs> the managers at the front, led by example. Yeah, he did an incredible man, and as you said, too, you know, uh, rightly, rightly deserved the honour of obviously naming the stand after him. And you, you could see what it meant to him when that happened. Yeah. You could see, you know, um, and the fact is, you know, Alvin and Alvin did it. Alvin did the the presentation, and you know, and and the man who doesn't you know and that always makes me chokes me up a little bit thinking about it because obviously I didn't know him as a player I knew him as a manager but 
you know, knowing he wasn't a particularly emotional person. I mean, I remember even when we went up in 92, where I saw him on the directors and he wasn't like, he was happy, but there was no, like, he was always a quite humble and, and quite quiet man. And to see him absolutely blub and, you know, cried his eyes out, just knew how much it meant to. And obviously a really emotional day that was. But even uh, tough guys cry. Yeah, exactly. Even <laughs> tough guys cry. Exactly. <laughs> It's a bit like Julian Dick swashbuckling. It was, wasn't unusual to see him running around with socks rolled down, no yeah. shin pad. Um, didn't take many prisoners, uh, but fair. Yeah. But um, really got stuck in, gave 101%. Yeah. Covered in mud every time he walked off. Yeah. He covered every inch, every blade of grass. Not many players can say that. Yeah. I see that picture of him with his head bandaged up. Uh, that yeah. famous one, just smiling, you know, like <laughs> was an absolutely brilliant man. Right, okay, Bonds, Bonds is in. Uh, who's yeah. who's a, who's a, the next central midfielder there, Michael? It's got to be the great Bobby Moore. Yeah. That uh, all the years I've been connected with the club, never had the pleasure of meeting this man. Although as a schoolboy, he answered a letter from me and sent me a team picture signed by all the team. Sent me a handwritten letter and two uh, match tickets. I never used the tickets. Oh, wow. And I was still to bits that I got a letter that he'd actually put pen to paper. Um, it's tragic end of his life. He died within a week of doing a radio broadcast at a match. And a week later, he was gone. I was working at the club at the time and I was keeping an eye on all the floral tributes. Um, and I attended the first league game immediately after his death against Wolverhampton yeah. Wanderers. Um, when Ron Greenwood, uh, Jeff Hurst and Martin Peters took the uh, the uh, the floral shirt, claret and blue shirt with six on the back and carried it on the pitch, you could hear a pin drop. Mm. Full grown yeah. men sobbing, sobbing in the crowd. Mm. Where I was, I, my complimentaries were on the Upper West and I used to sit next to Eddie Gillum's family, the kit man. And um, I was sitting up there and I was looking around me uh, and... Grown men sobbing. They were absolutely devastated. It was such a sad moment. Um, and the the, uh, the chairman of Wolverhampton Wanderers walked on the pitch with the Wolverhampton Wanderers wreath and laid it on the centre circle to show their their respect as well. Yeah. It was a very very yeah. This guy. Um, I played for West Ham from 1958 to 74, scoring 24 goals. His first game was at home to Manchester United. I, I saw that um, game. Um, he, um, he, in total, with all the cup games, he played over 600 games for West Ham. Uh, capped 108 times for England. I think Lampard has recently uh, beaten it. Um, and, nine, and 90 of those as captain for England. And a great accolade that one of the world's greatest ever footballers, the Brazilian Pelé, said he's the best player he'd ever played against. Yeah. You couldn't get a higher recommendation than that, could nah, you? No, nah, nah, not at all. Just see yeah. him go down on one knee to, dis uh, to get a ball off of somebody, go down on one knee and tackle him, scoop the ball off, stand up, look around and do a weighted pass about 50 uh, yards in front of you. That that was Bobby Moore. Yeah. Um, moved like a, a film star, immaculately dressed off the pitch. 
um, another absolute gentleman and what what a, what a diamond of a, a man to say is part of your history. Uh, I think every single West Ham supporter is absolutely thrilled and proud to have had him in our ranks. Yeah, no, I, to- I totally agree. I totally agree with everything you said, Michael. I mean, talking to some players who are around, so, um, so we interviewed Jeff Pike and people like that, and he said, you know, he would... Bobby would literally stand at the player's entrance and the players would be walking in and he'd, and he'd wish him a, a good game, you know, like, and he, he didn't have to do that. His teammates, but he, he did it as very a matter gra- of thing. Very, very grounded, Russ. Extremely, extremely grounded. And it was players of all that era were extremely grounded. You know, a lot of them had a second job, a lot of them had, you know, market stall and, you know, or, you know, and I just think they were just so grounded and so humble. Um, and even you know talking to some of the others, um, and and you know they who who worked with, with Bobby when he was at Capital and stuff like that, Capital Gold, how humble he'd be the one doing making the teas and and all things like that. And you think this man you know won the World Cup and he's making my cup of tea, an incredible man, absolutely incredible man. Um, and, and yeah, no deserved in as you said, it's one of those things that I think West Ham have we have some. Legend, and he really is. I mean, the word legend, I think, and is banded around far too many times for players who don't really, you know, modern day legend. But he is a legend of the game, and um, needs to be revered at any opportunity. Um, and he, he is. I mean, obviously, you know, he's he's got the stand, he's got the stand named after him, uh, and stuff at the ground, and. <laughs> without a doubt so rightly so him trevor and billy you know the, the holy trinity um definitely right okay we'll put more in uh up front strikers this is a difficult one um <laughs> uh, particularly you know in in that 1986 when uh McAvenny and cotty was scoring for fun i think McAvenny scored 26 that season yeah. cotty 20 very close to those two i've met um, both of them yeah Two nice guys. Brilliant. Um, I flew up to Scotland from Stansted uh, with Frank McAvenny. had a nice chat with him and a photo taken at the airport. Right character. Brilliant. Sat next to him at Brentwood in a, in a nightclub for West Ham staff uh, dinner. He, he was a laugh a minute with his girlfriend, Jenny Drive, the page three girl. who was a bit of a George Best uh, Stringfellows type guy. <laughs> but what, what a player and what a character. He's absolutely oozing with personality, ever so friendly. Again, very grounded, no arrogance or affectation about him. I'm Frank McAvenny. When you were talking to him, he put you on a par with him and made you feel so comfortable. Love, lovely, lovely guy. Yeah. Um, he had two spells at West Ham, uh, backwards and forwards to Celtic, a, a club that he, he loved because obviously he's Scottish. Only capped five times for Scotland, which was surprising. Yes. Um, uh, he's, yes, 26 goals in his debut season with, with Cotty when they were both on fire. Um, in his first spell, um, he had 85 games for us and scored 33 goals. And then he came back and made uh, 89 to 92, 68 appearances, only 16 goals this time. So he had 153 appearances with 49 goals. Um, he was originally signed as an attacking midfielder. Not a, not a striker. Um, then he was put up front when Paul Goddard was injured to replace Paul Goddard and converted into a striker. Um, so it's a good job they did do that. Because yeah, exactly. we might not, might not have ended uh, third in the league um, 
uh, in 86 and I believe we was only four points behind uh, Liverpool we would have won the title ourselves mm -hmm. with another four points um, the second time we signed him we had to pay 1.25 million for him um, I saw his last game when he came on for Mitchell Thomas um, when they started to have substitutes then and he came on as a substitute and scored a hat-trick in his farewell game it's a nice way to say yeah. goodbye and I reminded him that of the, uh, on the plane. He was quite proud of that and quite rightly so. Um, uh, so a great character, a great uh, goal scorer. Um, and what, what a partnership with Cotty. I feel guilty picking him and, and not Cotty because I've got another forward. Um, I like Tebez as well. Um, and I've got, I could name like a dozen centre forwards West Ham had. They weren't that successful with centre forwards, but they still had some some good ones in in between. Yeah. Um, but um, I um, that the my, my most exciting memory of the next player that I'm going to mention was when uh, Peters was swapped for Greaves. Um, I know Greaves was in sort of towards the end of his career. Um, but when I was standing in the North Bank and looked over towards that tunnel when they played Liverpool at home, they'd already played Manchester City away and he had kept his record of scoring a goal on every debut that he, he made uh, and did it again against Manchester City. Uh, when they came down the tunnel uh, home game against Liverpool, I believe, if I remember rightly, I think it ended one all. Uh, when I saw Jeffers walking out with Jimmy Grease in Claret and Blue out the tunnel, I couldn't believe it. I got so excited. I was just jumping up and down and I kept pinching myself and thought, is this really happening that I've got Hurst and Greaves in my club side wearing Claret and Blue? Are they probably going to win 20 nil today? <laughs> it was only one all, but it was a thrill for me. As I'm sure it was lots of people to see Jimmy Greaves with Jeffers, although past his best, but I have met Jimmy Greaves personally. A bit tragic what happened later on in life, but he's mm. pulled himself together. Mm. I've met him on three occasions. Um, he's not very well at the moment, um, but um, a, another national treasure there, Jimmy Greaves. But the next player, obviously, is uh, and very hard to pick with people like Cotty. I had to pick Jeff Hurst. Yeah. Um, Jeff Hurst, MBE. Um, 14 years at the club, 1958 to 72. He was a very good cricketer. He played once for Essex uh, first cricket team and he played for their B side quite a lot of times and lived in Chelmsford. And I think it was a toss up um, whether he played cricket, cricket or football. Unfortunately, he chose uh, football. I've, I've met Jeff. Um, he made 411 appearances, scoring 180 uh, goals. Um, he's capped 49 times for England. Um, uh, he's actually, uh, in, in total games, first team appearances, the 411 was league games. In total, he's played 500 and games for West Ham and scored in those 500 a total of 242 goals. Obviously, he played in the 1964 Cup Final, the Cup Winners' Cup Final 65. Uh, and then sold to Stoke for £80,000. Uh, but it's, what, a, what a, a, a thing to accomplish to be the only player that scored a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Yeah. A cup final where the captain was West Ham's Bobby Moore and the other player who scored the goal was the great Martin Peters. Um, 
Ed, to, to have scored the only hat-trick, uh, to be a national hero, not just at West Ham, um, looks great for his age, looks a lot younger than what he is. And, um, and I'm sure I speak for everybody, like Martin Peters and Bobby Moore and, and other players that we have, that we're very, very proud to have these people in our ranks. We've got a great history, I think, second to none, but then I'm biased. Yeah, no, I'm exactly the same. When you when you talk so uh, when you talk so, so knowledgeably about some of these players, you, you're thinking, yeah, I mean we it's, we do have a the fabric of West Ham in terms of history is undeniable, isn't it? I think you're right. We're probably biased, but we that's because we it's just us, isn't it? But no, yeah, and you say so. Jeff is a lovely guy. I once had a wee next to Jeff Hurst. There we go. Oh, it's my claim to fame. It was me, Jeff Hurst, Sir Jeff Hurst. And Sir Clive Woodward, and I was in the middle, like some sort of, you know, a thorn, a rose in between two thorns, so to speak. You don't go to the toilet with just anybody, do you? <laughs> you don't, you know, no, no, no. You know me. I, I, I hold myself and wait. You know, <laughs> brilliant. Michael, man, it's been absolutely amazing talking to you. I've learned so much about some players I've never, never really known much about. So I'm going to go and do some some research on Campwell now um, at my lunch break. But uh, it's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for your time, Michael. I appreciate all the effort you've got into it as well. All the all the stats and stuff. It really, really helps to paint a, a picture and the, why you selected the people you have. So thank you so much. And obviously, thank you for all the work you're doing with the uh, with the, West, the Facebook group as well, because it's it's paying off. And obviously, everyone's everyone's loving loving all keeping the content going. So thank you. Um, and obviously, thank you to everyone else for watching. Uh, you know, like, share, subscribe. If you're on Facebook, uh, don't forget to obviously uh, to, to become a member of the of the, of the West Ham um, FC group. You'll see everyone's got 12,000 members. So if you're not, one of your mates will be anyway. So you, you make sure you get on. And until next time, from me and Michael, take care, everybody. Stay safe. We'll see you again very, very soon. Come on, you eyes. Come on, you eyes. Thank Come you. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.